This podcast episode is inspired by a real question that a stranger sent me on social media. The message has been slightly edited to ensure anonymity. A little content warning, this episode is about coming out stories, the good, the bad, and all the emotions in between. There really is little in the way of a normal core to any set of sexualities. Normal is just the name we give to the cleaned-up versions of sex that we wish to endorse on behalf of social stability and moral order. In reality, sex is both much more wild than our norms allow for, and at times much more bland and banal than our concerns for moral order indicate. Jack Halberstam from the book Gaga Feminism. I'm ambivalently yours, and this is Rebelliously Tiny, a podcast where each week my co-producer Hannah McCaslin and I invite a special guest to help us respond to one of the thousands of personal questions I've received on social media. In a world that teaches us that strength is loud, harsh, and masculine, this is a place for those of us whose struggle is both impossibly large and rebelliously tiny. Here's the question that inspired this week's episode. I need help coming out. I don't know how to do it. Do you have any ideas? I want to do it in a creative way. This is Armando's story. I'll start. <clears throat> so, I I was forced to come out myself. Um, I grew up in Dominican Republic, and um, Will and Grace was on TV, on daytime television. For those of you that don't know, it's a show about Will, a gay, rich lawyer in New York City, and his roommate, straight friend, female, Grace. Um, I think was Jewish too. And anyway, so it, there was this sort of archetype of like successful gay rich man. So gay was a thing when I was a teenager. So when I came out to my friends, uh, which this one of them pressured me into because he knew and he just wanted me to say it, but it, it helped in the end. Um, most of them were like, oh, I've always wanted one. <laughs> I've always wanted one. My voice cracked and everything. But I was like, oh, okay. Okay, best friends. It's, it's funny. They just made a movie about that sort of archetype in high school. But anyway, um, so th- that was easy. My friends were understanding. Everything was cool. And then with my parents, um, so I realized um, I had an STD. Um, I had syphilis and gonorrhea. And I was sort of freaking out. And I, was, I had this discharge. And I was like, uh-oh, this isn't supposed to happen. Something's wrong. And I just like I'm, I'm, I was close with my parents, and I just went straight to them. I didn't like as soon as I found out, and I got to show them. I go to the doctor. Luckily, it's just like antibiotics, not a big deal. But then it sort of it, it was this whole like my house of cards fell. It's sort of my like high school sweetheart, this guy that I was dating, which was like older than me, and who I was having unprotected sex with cheated on me and that's why I got this STD and luckily it wasn't like a permanent thing that I got. This was me like 15 and just like hyper romantic or something or super trusting I guess. 
so so I had to sort of find out that I was getting cheated on. I got an STD, um, and then I had to come out to my parents in the process because my my parents speak Spanish. Spanish is my first language, and um, Spanish is completely gendered. So when he asked me, um, you know, have you been having sex with a friend? Friend is gendered, so it's like there's a female version of friend and a male version of friend. So I had to say friend, male friend, amigo, and that just like that was the moment where I was like, oh, and it just happened. He was silent, and it was it was really um. He didn't freak out. He usually f- freaked out about other things. Like I, I expected like lots of drama, but he didn't. He was very supportive. Um. And it sort of came with like this whole we always knew, but also I felt like everybody around me always knew. Like I sort of people referred to me as gay even before I had sexual feelings. So I came out and I was gay and all of this, and but I always sort of questioned that myself. Even like yeah. Like, could I have had other kinds of relationships if I maybe didn't have that expectation to be gay? Because that was, like, a thing, too, um, where people would sort of make it clear for other people that I was gay if they had a doubt. Like, it wasn't the thing I did. Other people policed my gayness or something. Yeah. So so don't have unprotected sex <laughs> is, is the moral of the story. Um be close to your parents when it comes to these issues <laughs> yeah i mean and and if it's not a parent you know uh th- there'll be someone there'll be a mentor or someone at school or a counselor or a community center there'll, there'll be someone you can talk to if girl, I was a boy. My best pal was a boy. All of the things I liked to do, all of the games I liked to play, all of the clothes I wanted to wear were for boys. So I came to understand that I was a boy and asked everyone to treat me accordingly. I started wearing my friend's clothes. My mom would use copious amounts of 1980s gel to spike my freshly cut short hair. And I renamed myself Spike just like the little boy in the Mr. T cartoons that were popular at the time. Months or maybe years later, my parents broke up and we moved, and suddenly I was the new kid in town, without a history or context. One day on the playground, a girl asked me, with a hint of disdain, if I was a boy or a girl. I remember that this ambiguity made me feel ashamed. Shortly after, I returned home and announced to my mom that I was going to be a girl again. I sometimes wonder what would have happened, how my gender expression would have evolved, if I had stayed in a safe place where I had a pal to tether my courage to. Would I have been less afraid to be a boy or to be ambiguous? Was my gender fluidity just a childhood phase? Or was it a permanent facet of who I am? How else might I have grown up? How else would I have loved or been loved if I had felt safer? If the world I live in had been less obsessed with heteronormative binaries? Here's Lux's story. 
Um, well, the first, the first time I ever came out was as bisexual. I came out to. I came out to my mom. Um, we were lying in bed watching a movie, and it's something that I had admitted to myself privately in my head, but I hadn't said it out loud. I hadn't, you know, hadn't said it to anyone, and I just felt like my mom is the most important person to me in the world, and I don't, I don't want to keep secrets from her. I want her to know me as fully as she possibly can. So I felt like I was hiding a part of myself from her. And so I told her, I was like, Mom, I'm bisexual. And she says, what does that mean? And I said, I'm attracted to men and women. And and this is who I am. And if you have a problem with it, I'm sorry, but I can't change it. And she was like, why would I have a problem with it? You're my child. I love you. Like, it was a very positive experience. Um... And I, f I consider, like, coming out as anything. Like, I consider coming out to my mom to be the most important part. And after that, it's just, like, I can come out to whoever. Like, I came out to my sister after that. And then I came out to my friends via group chat. I was like, by the, guy by the way, guys, I'm bi. And they were like, what? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> um, um, like, I come out. Coming out is a constant process. So I'm constantly coming out to people. But... The only time I was really nervous about it was when I was coming out to my mom. Same with coming out as non-binary. I actually... I was plagued by a lot of doubt about that part of my identity. I felt like, am I really non-binary or am I just saying that? Like, you know, but I did a lot of research and, like, hearing other people's stories of how they came out and how they came to terms with it really made, like, solidified the idea that, yeah... I, I am this thing and this is okay but my mom she's she's not from here she's not from air quotes the western world um so and she's told me this and she says that some of these concepts for her are very hard to conceptualize and understand so when I came out to her I actually did it through my therapist I told my therapist first and then we planned a meeting with my mom and we both like told her and then we gave her some papers on it and because she had no idea that you could be anything other than cis so and she still is very confused about it but she says she still loves me she still accepts me the only thing is she still uses my birth name which it's okay like from her it's okay because she's really She's made a lot of efforts to understand me. And she says to me, you'll always be, you know, which it's fine. Like, I don't have any plans to legally change my name because I, I have a lot of respect for my name. I was named after my great grandmother who died um, just a little while before I was conceived. And I was named by my grandfather. He chose that name and he he's passed now. So it's a very important name to me. But it's nice to go by Lux. It feels like me, you know? But yeah, um, I came out to non as non-binary to my mom and that was okay too. Came out to my sister, that was okay. I've generally had really good experiences coming out. I've not had any 
negative experiences, no one, like, I consider myself very, very lucky. This conversation with Lux was recorded over a year ago. After listening to it again, Lux asked me to add that their relationship with their mom has come a long way since then, and that they are now accepted and known as Lux. Theorist Marilyn Fry wrote, There is so much pressure on women to be heterosexual, and this pressure is both so pervasive and so completely denied that I think heterosexuality cannot come naturally to many women. I think that widespread heterosexuality among women is a highly artificial product of the patriarchy. I think that most women have to be coerced into heterosexuality. I would like heterosexual women to be as actively curious about how and why and why and when they became heterosexual as I have been about how and when and why I became a lesbian. And now a story from Noe. Well, now I'm 27 and I came out when I was 19, I guess to my mom that I was bisexual at the time. That's how I identified. Um, but it, it took me about a year to be able to tell her. And we were in the car. <laughs> but I didn't want to tell her in the car, but it just came that way. Um, and she just asked me questions like because I was like, yeah, when we're going to be home, I'm going to have to tell you something and then she kept asking me like oh you're taking drugs you're getting you're dropping out of school you're this you're that (laughs) (laughs) at last thing was like you're in love with a woman (laughs) and then I started crying yes that's the (laughs) I'm in love with a girl (laughs) and then she started crying and then she told me I'm gonna love you whatever you do and I just wanted to be happy but it still took her maybe a year or two to to believe that it was not just a phase mm-hmm. yeah and when I came out uh, this year a few months ago um, about my uh, me being non-binary uh, she was not um, able to understand <laughs> it was hard Mm-hmm. And she made a judgment about my name. And, like, I remember maybe three years ago, we were talking about uh, trans people. And because she's really open to talk about anything, so she's really great. But she told me, like, fais-moi jamais ça. <laughs> <laughs> like, ne- never do that to me. And that that was ticked in my head and I was really afraid to tell her that I'm non-binary and yeah she she's still struggling with it but she's better now <laughs> yeah she but she asks a lot of questions which is good for conversation yeah I think that as long as it can be a conversation instead of just like a complete shutdown yeah because a lot of times people just don't quite understand Maybe. Yeah, it's hard because being non-binary is not being like, oh, you're a girl and you're 
you want to be a boy or like like I feel awful just saying these things but like <laughs> it, it's how how people in general who are not living in the queer world that we live in um know about stuff and like she asked me my mom asked me uh do you want to be a boy and I was just like no <laughs> I'm not a boy <laughs> I'm not binary I'm agender I'm So I tried to explain to her what it was, but it was h hard for her because it was all so new. Yeah, and she keeps using my uh, birth name, but I'm fine with it if it's just for her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I guess that's it. And finally, here's Mikael's story. Well, for me, it was a, a bit more torturous than this. I guess when I... That's a, term, a word, right? Torturous? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for a second, I hesitated. I, I, when I think about coming out, I don't think about it as one thing. I think about it as there's the coming out to yourself. There's maybe, I, I, for me at least, the way I experienced this, there was the, the coming out to my close ones, so my family... Uh, and I had a different feeling about this than the coming out to myself. And then there's a com kind of coming out that just never stops. It's coming out to people. So if you get a new job, if you go... Uh, and, and it depends. It's also because for me, people, when they, they meet me and they interact with me, typically, unless I'm, you know, wearing my, you know, trademark pink shirt and socks now uh, that I'm stealing from my husband, uh, or, uh, you know, And any other, you know, giveaway traits, uh, people assume that I'm straight. And so, you know, it, it comes as a surprise and I'm aware of that. I'm very aware of it, actually. And so my coming out, uh, well, first uh, I came out later in life, so about 25. I always knew that I had some attraction to, to, to some men. I had friends when I was in high school, when I was younger, uh, that, that were very close friends, which now I realize if I had allowed myself to go the extra step if I came out to myself then then I would have you know pr probably had a relationship with them um, and uh, but you know and in some sense when I think about these things I think of these things I think about it with a little bit of regret you know like I feel like some part of my life was uh, I didn't get to experience it I didn't have the the teenage years I would have had basically uh, but you know That, that's different kind of experience uh, but I was when I was young I was very much into that sort of narrative where I needed to you know meet the right woman and I needed to have children very early on and have a house and a job because that's what my parents did and that's what their parents did and that's you know the story that I was told the sort of romantic glorified story in my family was that one and um, but then you know What happened to me, and I, I, it's something that happens a lot for, for, for gay people or bisexuals or people who have different types of sexuality, is I needed to be away from my home in order to come out, fully come out to myself. So I needed to take myself out of the environment where I grew up. And then that made things more easily for me. So that, that happened for me. I, I did my PhD in Washington, D.C. area. Uh, And, and this is where uh, it happened. I started, uh, I mean, 
to begin with the, the program where I studied, I was very interested in that program, I came to realize, because there were a lot of homosexuals in the program. And when I visited that, you know, I, I found them attractive and I found them interesting. And, you know, and that, that was just the, the sort of the beginning. And then as time went by and I was there, you know, then I, I, I was avowing my, to myself my interest in other men. And, uh, and then I met, you know, a friend that was at the department and he called and he really helped me a lot. He helped me uh, sort of uh, navigate the gay culture, you know, sort of like the, the do's and don'ts and why they're there and, you know, the situation. So what I was uh, saying in a, in, in a previous uh, uh, podcast, you know, uh, you know the, how the body types matter to a lot of people in, in the gay world, typically. And not that these things are necessarily good things. I don't believe they are personally, but they are there. And you need to understand this uh, if you navigate this world to a certain extent. So he called him himself my, my gay mother. And, uh, and then he would sort of like show me some films and give me some readings and, and, you know, documentaries and different things. And that really helped. If you can have someone around you, you know, who's gone through some of these experiences before and can help you guide you some, uh, that's also very helpful. That really helped me a lot. And, and then, you know, I was out to myself like this, but I hadn't had any sexual relationship with any man for, for a while still, you know, it took several months. So I came out to myself, but I didn't, I, I had a hard time doing this extra step of having the sexual relation, just feeling very comfortable. So there's a certain level of homophobia that I had internalized personally, you know, I was not that I was uh, a, the kind of person who would uh, get angry at gays. I always had gay friends in my life. I lived in the gay village in Montreal when I was in my early 20s. Uh, I went out in gay bars too. I, I didn't feel, you know, that, but it, it was just I wouldn't allow myself. It was kind of not even a door that I, I, I recognized existed. It, and this despite the fact that I know very well that I've had strong feelings for other men at different moments. And so in order for me to, to to go that extra step and have sexual relation with another man, I felt like I needed to do this other kind of coming out to my family. And and, and, and I felt, because I was far away, I, it, it felt so absurd in some sense that I, you know, my family is back in Quebec, uh, you know, what do they care? They're doing their things. But I felt like I was somewhat lying to some of those people who are very important in my life, you know. And so I ended up writing a long message to my mother and, uh, letting her know uh, about this. I, I, I just, I, I wanted to be myself fully and I didn't, I, I didn't want to do this over Skype. So I wrote, I wrote a long letter that I sent and then she responded and it was beautiful. And then, you know, she communicated the letter to my siblings and my father. And, uh, and then everybody was very, very nice about it at first. Well, I mean, it stayed nice, you know, there are some comments there, there's also, well, it, that's another topic, but there were some comments that I wasn't as happy with, but, you know, those are things to be expected sometimes, I think. Uh, people don't have a, well, we live in a very heteronormative world, let's put it this way. <laughs> uh, and now, you know, I started a new job, so it's the, the, I guess it's the third job, really, that I have since I came out of university at this point. Recently, you know, as recently, I mean, I started my current uh, job a few months ago, but you know, it took me a, a good month to figure out like how to slip it in conversation with everybody that mattered that worked for me and, and all this and make sure that things were okay. And I wasn't, you know, putting myself in a tough situation. 
But I think this is really hard. I mean, this is something that I think about a lot, and you guys can weigh in on this, because my thought about this is also I could have been appearing at, jo at, at my new workplace and just be very flamboyant, you know, maybe even push it a little bit so that everybody knows and there's no doubt about it. But, you know, I, but then again, this is not necessarily who I am on a daily basis. So then, you know, uh, yeah, so it's a tricky situation, I would say. But this coming out is not as uh, emotional as the others. Let's put it this way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the more I learn about gender and sexual identity, the less I'm certain about where I fit in. The more I explore and embrace ideas of ambivalence in my work, the more comfortable I am with leaving my sexual and gender identity open-ended. There is something liberating about creating new modes of self-identification, when the ones imposed on you your whole life never quite fit. But the things we learn from a young age are hard to unlearn. It's hard to shift and change, and when you do, it's sometimes hard to explain to others. I've received several messages from strangers online asking me about coming out when, how, and who to do it with. As someone who is still lost when it comes to identity, someone who actively rejects the idea of clear definitions, someone who has only come out online and through my art, but who has been aggressively private about it in real life, and who has accorded all the privileges associated with the heteronormativity I seemingly embody, the reply I can give is only partial. And while as you may have guessed by now, that this advice podcast isn't really about giving advice, but more so about sharing stories, embracing contradictions, offering points of reference, and introducing you to people who know what you mean. This episode is no different. I chose this particular question to frame this episode because it opens up the possibility of the coming out story being a cause for celebration instead of grief. Coming out isn't an end point, it's just the beginning. It's opening the door for more questions more thoughts, more possibilities. And while I feel comfortable in ambiguity, there is also comfort to be found in specificity as well. There is value in finding the right words, the right communities. It can be all, nothing, and a little bit of both. This bonus episode celebrates coming out. It's a gift from some of our guests from season one. Rebelliously Tiny was written, produced, and edited by me, Ambivalently Yours, and co-produced and co-written by Hannah McCasland. The music is by Greg Barkley. This episode was recorded at Obero Artist Run Centre in Montreal, with technical support from Stéphane Claude. A special thanks to the entire team at Obero for their kindness and support. To learn more about my work and this podcast, please visit ambivalentlyyours.com or follow us on social media, at RebelliouslyTiny on Instagram and Facebook, at RebelliousTiny on Twitter. If you would like to be a guest on the show or submit an anonymous question of your own, please send us an email at RebelliouslyTiny at gmail.com or email us an audio recording of your question. You can also DM us on any of our social media accounts. If you would like to support our podcast, please share it with your friends and subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to make a financial contribution, please email us at rebelliouslytiny at gmail.com. This season is entirely listener-supported, 
and we are eternally grateful to everyone who shared and contributed to our Kickstarter campaign in the fall of 2017. Thank you.